Well, folks, when you hear that music, you know that it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball with Jamie Uretsky coming to you today from Overland Park, Kansas. And this is a special podcast because today marks the one-year anniversary of the passing of uh, my best friend and a best friend of many of you that listen to this podcast, the one and the only David Earl Nelson. And we all have different ways to reflect on loved ones who are not with us any longer. Today is that one-year celebration of my friend, my brother, my really spiritual leader, David Earl Nelson. What a great friend to me and to literally hundreds of others all around this fine country of ours. Because uh, to know Dave was uh, an opportunity to have a new best friend. And he was a new best friend to many people. He had that ability and those qualities to make you believe he was your best friend. And in many, many, many cases, he was a best friend to a lot of us. Now, on the lighter side of baseball, I've pointed out several reasons that I wanted to do this podcast. One was my love of baseball. One was the interconnection of my family with that love of baseball. And I have previously spoken about that in many of these earlier podcasts. My dad was the first person who really ignited my love affair with baseball. My uncle was probably the next family member that had a significant impact on my love of baseball. And that's when He asked me to find a minor league baseball team for him to purchase, and he indeed did purchase from those Kansas City Royals, the Omaha Royals, soon to begin a season as the Omaha Storm Chasers in their 51st year of business with Kansas City. And then I met another person who was family to me, and that was Dave Nelson. And to my family, to my kids, to my friends, he was just that. He was our family. And for 45 years, he was my best friend. For 45 years, he was a friend to my friends. And for many of those years, he was more than a friend to all of my children, stepchildren, and really good, significant friends that I had became good friends with Dave. And for those 45 years, I got what I consider to be a dream come true, and that was that I got to interact with a real live baseball player, a real live pro, a real live all-star, a real live coach, a real live broadcaster, and most importantly, a really, really good human being who demonstrated that on so many plateaus and levels that I can't even begin to go through all of those, but I will kind of touch on some of those. And we all have our warts. I'm not going to get into too many of Dave's warts, but I'm sure I'll get into a few because a big part of our relationship was uh, talking about things that maybe weren't the greatest thing in the world, but by and large, from Texas to Chicago, to Cleveland, to Milwaukee, through the minor leagues in Montreal, through the minor leagues in Oakland system, and into broadcasting with the Chicago Cubs 
and broadcasting with the Milwaukee Brewers and the Cleveland Indians, all of those in 45 years that I got the benefit of hanging with Dave, hanging with his family, hanging with his friends. And let me tell you what, it was a tremendous honor for me, a tremendous joy for me. And like I said, it's uh, been a long year for a lot of our friends that meant so much to Dave, and Dave meant so much to us, that it's hard to stay on the lighter side of baseball and talk about it. But by goodness gracious, we're going to keep this light. We're going to emphasize the fun things because on this year anniversary and celebration of Dave's passing, um, there is nothing but joy in our hearts to reflect back upon the years that Dave, in my experience, shared all that good stuff, bad stuff, and joy and sorrow with me and my family. And like I said, uh, it's a reason that I'm doing this podcast, so on we go. So number one, I miss those conversations I had with Dave. Generally speaking, from 1973 until 2018, we would have conversations, whether it was him coming out of the locker room, him coming out of the broadcast booth, or him just being with me where I would question why in the world didn't this guy bunt or why in the world did that guy steal or how could this guy miss a cutoff man or don't you think you ought to be getting a little better quality pitching out of this particular group of pitchers or you name it any subject I could come up with Dave and I would debate sometimes we'd debate at Arlington Stadium sometimes we'd debate outside of Comiskey Park sometimes we'd debate outside of Municipal Stadium when I knew Dave and he was at Municipal Stadium with the Tribe, or Jacobs Field, as it was called when Dave coached and broadcast with the Cleveland Indians, or Old County Stadium, or really Miller Park, when Dave was so active as a coach, an instructor, and a broadcaster with the Milwaukee Brewers. We would talk in person, we would talk on the phone, about everything and anything, mainly my criticizing the moves that Dave's team made to lose a game or how great it was to win a game and things that I would think important. And then typically, and I would say 95% of the time, Nellie would give that famous huh that I talked about on my podcast with Craig Kashan. And, you know, there we'd go. I was right. He was wrong. And in his mind, I didn't know anything, but I think he gave me more credit than he let on in terms of my ability to talk baseball. And I did that with him, and I do it with you folks on my podcast. And to those folks who are loyal listeners, I appreciate it greatly. This is podcast number 16, and generally speaking, when we kick off a podcast, we talk about the number of that podcast and famous numbers in baseball. But today we're going to talk about those numbers of baseball that were on the back of our good friend David Earl Nelson, Nelly as he was known by many, and David Earl by some, Davey by some of the brewers in the later years, and I laugh because that's the name that kicked off his celebrity golf tournament, and I think in the early years... He really didn't like the name Davey, but it grew on him, and that certainly 
Davy was what became his autograph. Davy became the name on the golf tournament, which really raised lots of money for a spectacular place in Kumga, South Africa, called Open Arms Home for Children. And it thrives today in part because of the efforts of, yes, Davy Nelson. So, what numbers do I remember and are significant to me in the 45 years I followed along the career of, yes, Davy Nelson? Let's take the first number that he was wearing when he met me in 1973. And to digress, and I'll digress because it's one of my favorite stories, and I've told it before, but I'm going to tell it again. And in fact, I'll probably repeat some stories today because to me, the stories are great. And I, I'm going to try to pass this podcast along to more than the hundred listeners I have. I tell people maybe the good news and the bad news is the good news if you're participating in my podcast is that not many people listen to it. The bad news is not many people listen to it. But I kid myself, I think uh, the content is interesting, and uh, that's a selfish perspective, but it's my perspective. And at any rate, that great story of how I met Dave Nelson, and what's interesting is everybody, and if you looked at his email list, his contact list, there are literally 5,000 people on that list. And most all those people were... Friends with Dave who could pick up the phone and Dave could have a conversation with them. He was that kind of guy. You thought he was your best friend. And as I sit here in my office in Overland Park, I am looking out over a lot of baseball bats that he helped uh, get autographs for, but, but in great remembrance. And I wish this was a video cast because there are so many spectacular photographs, not only taken of Dave, but by Dave, uh, photographs of people that are legendary and legendary to Dave. I'm sitting here looking, and just as an example, let's talk about the ones that are of Dave. I'm sitting here looking at Dave Nelson in a uniform, and he is discussing hitting with Ted Williams, who was the first manager of the Texas Rangers who came over from the Washington Senators. And Nellie's in the dugout talking to the splendid splinter. And what a great picture that is. And Nellie had so many funny stories about Ted Williams and uh, Williams' inability to understand how mere mortals couldn't hit like Teddy Ballgame could hit. But Nelly had a story for every situation, and I was reading a book called The Kid, The Immortal Life of Ted Williams by Ben Bradley Jr. It's a great book. I think I could finish this book in five years of my reading speed. But nonetheless, I figured, well, let me look in the uh, index and see if there's any reference to Dave Nelson. And sure enough, not that it shocked me, there was, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what was said in that particular section of the book. The author goes on to say, Another time, Ted who generally sent Coach Sid Hudson out to the mound when he wanted to remove a pitcher, instructed Hudson to go out and yank McLean. McLean 
when Hudson came out to the mound, said, quote, if that fat blankety-blank wants to take me out, you tell him to come out and take me out. So Williams comes out of the dugout. When he gets close, McLean flips the ball to him. And, you know, we all know Denny McLean. Let me backtrack a bit. McLean won 30 games for the Detroit Tigers, was a hero in the World Series several years in a row. Unfortunately, McLean found his way into federal prison on a couple of occasions. I lost, last saw Denny in Cooperstown when Ron Santos' ghost was being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I remember McLean out on the street in a booth pitching his book while he was consuming a soft serve ice cream cone that had to have eight scoops on top. I mean, it was like a foot long. And McLean, who was as big as a house, uh, was handling that ice cream cone pretty well, even though it was 98 degrees that summer. At any rate, here's what Nellie said. And, and Dave has told this story numerous times, and it was kind of funny to see it in the print. I'd never seen Ted so mad, said infielder Dave Nelson, who witnessed the scene. I could hear the veins in his neck pumping, and I was on the field, not in the dugout. So Dave had so many funny takes on, on Ted Williams and so many funny takes on others. But be that as it may, I'm looking at these photographs, Dave with Bill Clinton, uh, Nellie posing in the locker room, with teammate Ferguson Jenkins, Dave posing in the locker room with teammate Gaylord Perry, and a Gaylord Perry story that I think I've told on this podcast before is that, and again, you could literally name any player that Dave came in contact with, and he had a story, and they had a story about him, as I would find out. And again, I digress, and my listeners know I digress, but Gaylord Perry, when Eddie Stanky got hired to manage the Rangers, and even though Stanky never officially managed because when he showed up, Perry had understood that Eddie Stanky had a weigh-in policy that every day everybody would weigh in, and Perry didn't want to weigh in for anybody. So he dismantled the scale and hit it all over the Rangers Spring Training Facility, and Stanky said, I really don't need any of this, and left. Anyway, so there's... There's those two guys posing. There is a picture of Jackie Robinson sliding into home plate, Dave's hero. A picture of Buck O'Neill, uh, the first African-American coach with the Chicago Cubs. I'm looking at a picture from Dave's house that is of not only Larry Doby, the first African-American to play in the American League just several months after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, but posing with Dobie is none other than Satchel Paige in Cleveland uniforms. And, oh my, that's a great baseball card, by the way, of Satchel Paige in 1953, the best series tops ever made. And next to him is a picture of Roberto Clemente, who Dave idolized. And above that, in my office is Henry Aaron hitting number 715, and adorned to that photograph is a pass for the Hank Aaron featured sit-down question and answer that Dave got to 
MC and an autograph of Hank Aaron together with an Aaron 755th home run autograph of a little plaque of home plate. And so everywhere I look, I see a picture of my family at Nellie's Corner dedicated to Davey Nelson and on and on and on and on and on. I've got Dave's hat from 1973, or I mean 1977 and 76 when he played for the uh, Royals. And we'll get into that number in a minute. Back to the numbers, because I digress. And uh, digressing is something that you can do on a podcast because it's my podcast. So the first number Dave wore was number one with the Texas Rangers, the number that I knew he had. And so when I met him, it was April 22nd, 1973, and in an eerie way, and I know exactly the day I met him because I was on a commercial flight back to Dallas from Kansas City, and the Texas Rangers had just gotten swept by the Minnesota Twins. The Last game, game four of that series, was on Sunday, April 22nd, 1973, and the Rangers were flying, and as Dave would do, he didn't hang with the team. When he would go out in public, he sort of got off by himself. I thought he was a sports reporter. He was in a coat and tie, seemed to be a nice guy who, fortunately or unfortunately, next to Nelly. And let me tell you what, here's that serendipity in life. I'm sitting next to Dave Nelson on a flight from Kansas City to Dallas. I'm going back to law school at SMU. Nellie's going back to Texas where he's got, you know, his uh, home team. And for some reason, I draw a boarding pass that puts me right next to this guy that I had no idea who he was. I asked him after we had been talking for an hour and a half flight, um, I finally figured out that he wasn't a reporter or a writer. He was a player, and I asked him for his autograph so that I could give the autograph to my brother-in-law. Ho, ho, ho. Really wanted, you know, it was nicer than asking who the hell he was. Gives me the autograph, very legible, David, Dave Nelson. And I think to myself, who in the world is this guy? And uh, just get off the plane and Instead of Nelly just hitting the road, he sticks around until my luggage is off the plane. And at that time, uh, we, my family, traveled with a dog. Nelly waited for the dog to come out of the baggage claim and offered to give us a ride back to, uh, to Dallas, which I had declined. And he offered to get tickets to the games whenever I wanted. I just met the guy for an hour and a half, and he's offering to get me tickets. And I'm thinking, eh, I can get my own tickets. I don't need this guy to, to uh, give me any charity. So um, that was how I met Dave. I met him on a friggin' airplane flight where there are 100 other people, not including the Texas Rangers, who at that time didn't fly charter and didn't even fly nonstop. So <laughs> what are the odds? And that that happened 45 years to the day of the passing, which by my math, and I'm not a math whiz, but that would have been 46 years ago today, tonight, at 8 o'clock. That's the scoop. So what a break, and the rest was sort of history. But anyway, back to number one. 
So, uh, in that season with the Texas Rangers, and they played at Turnpike Stadium, the new ballpark had not been built yet, uh, Ted Williams had been replaced by Whitey Herzog. And Herzog loved Dave and moved Dave really from third base um, to playing second base exclusively. And Dave made the all-star team. He hit 286. He was in the top 10 of the American League, and he signed a hefty new contract at the end of that year for $50,000 a year. Woohoo. I checked last, last uh, year, in 2018, uh, the guys in the top 10 hitting for the year with more, fi- more than 500 plate appearances were making 5 to $7 million a year. Little bit of discrepancy between what they made then and what they make now. But that's the way it goes. And Dave understood that like everybody else understands that. And that's why I said in 30 years, Mike Trout will be griping about how, geez, he wish he'd been born later so he could make more money than the $400 million he's getting paid. At any rate, Whitey Herzog, although Dave had an all star year, Dave was the voted the Texas Ranger Player of the Year. Uh, mostly because Dave and all his friends, which I became fast friends with, stuffed the ballot box, and he got a 1973 Dodge Challenger, you know, that orange special hopped-up car that he immediately gave away or sold. I don't think he ever drove it, but by God, he was the player of the year, the all-star, and a guy that in that off-season I began to socialize with and... In fact, at the end of the year, Nelly invited me to a party at his place. I went, probably had too many adult beverages along with uh, many of the people that were at the party, and I ended up driving uh, Lenny Randall to the airport when I probably shouldn't have been driving anybody anywhere. The thing that I always laugh about, number one, is Lenny was carrying like 15 Louisville Sluggers on his own, not in a bag. Not with a valet. You know, this guy was a minor leaguer trying to come up. And Dave and I laughed in later years because, um, and not that I'd wish Lenny or anybody else any harm, but as you will recall, in 1974, when Dave was hitting north of 300 and having a great follow-up year to his all-star year, uh, the Rangers were playing the Chicago White Sox when a pop-up behind second base, in between second base and center field, was struck. Nelly ran out with his back to the infield, never heard anybody call him off, and before he could catch the ball, Lenny Randall ran into him, and essentially that ended, for the most part, Dave's career, although he continued to Participated in baseball in the rest of 74, 75, 76, 77, ending his career with the Kansas City Royals. And then he became a broadcaster, and we reacquainted when I moved to Kansas City, although we had stayed in touch. So, back to number one. So that was Dave's number that I remember him with until the Rangers hired Billy Martin. And when Billy Martin came, Billy was going to be number one. And uh, so Nellie switched to number five. 
and he wore that number until he was traded to the Kansas City Royals. I'll get into his number three with the Kansas City Royals in a little bit, but before I do that, let me go back to what a story that I've told before, but it, and I've told a lot of times, but it's one of my favorite stories. It's one of my favorite nights. It's one of my favorite activities activities that Dave and I shared, and that was that in the off-season of 1973, uh, Dave and I uh, had developed a pretty good friendship. He would come over to the SMU campus, and we'd uh, cook dinner. Then I'd head out to uh, Fort Worth occasionally and hang with Dave, and all the time I was going to law school, and Nellie was not really doing anything at that time. Players didn't really do a lot in the off-season, but at any rate, we would, uh, neither of us had much money, and from time to time we'd meet in Arlington, Texas at a place called the uh, Red Apple Bar, and we would go to their happy hour, mainly because it is gigantic chunk of cheddar cheese, which sticks in my mind, and we would drink Boodle's gin at a happy hour price. Back then, happy hours were okay. You know, the emphasis on DWIs really hadn't come up that much. And so we would go, I'd drive over to Arlington. Dave and I would go to the Red Apple Lounge once every week or two, and we'd have cheddar cheese, crackers, and dollar drinks. And, uh, you know, that was it. That was our, that was our excitement. I'd head back, never getting drunk, never driving under the influence, et cetera, et cetera. One night, in rolls Billy Martin into the Red Apple Lounge, having uh, just negotiated a new contract to manage the Texas Rangers. Billy was pretty easy to identify. And uh, he sat down at a table by himself, and I told Dave that I was going to go over and talk to Billy and kind of explain to Billy uh, Whitey didn't utilize Dave's talents very well and that Dave could bunt a lot more, probably get a, on base more, and he could steal more. Having finished second to Bert Campaneris in stolen bases, I thought Dave could not only lead the league in stolen bases but get pretty close to leading the league in batting average if he bunted a little more. And, of course, that was my baseball knowledge coming through to Dave. And, of course, you know, he threatened me with my life if I went anywhere near Billy Martin. But as I said before on this podcast, I knew that eventually David Earl would have to go to the men's room, and he did. And at that point, I cut a beeline over to Billy, and Billy and I became fast best friends for that next five hours of drinking at the Red Apple Lounge. And Billy would drag me around wherever Billy was going in that bar. I was not going to leave him alone because, A, Billy had a reputation of you know, getting into fights to people that, you know, said something to him that he didn't want to hear. And man, that dude had some beady little eyes and I knew he was combatant. So even though I was finished one year of law school, Billy wanted to ask me legal question after legal question about his son and his daughter. And in the meantime, when he wasn't asking questions, I was telling him how to use Nelly. Well, we knew Dave would show up sometime, and, uh, and that he did, and by then he could see that Billy and I were pretty tight, and so he just left us alone and went somewhere else in the Red Apple Lounge, and Billy and I just talked until uh, till it was time to leave. And I, 
I kind of had that ability to do that then, and I can do it now. But that was my Billy Martin story. And even in the rest of that offseason, Dave and I played golf with a bunch of the Rangers that stuck around in town. And uh, even though I didn't get flunked out of law school, I probably could have come close. But uh, but I didn't. Everything was copacetic, and uh, that was it. And then Dave got traded to the Kansas City Royals, and from 75 until 1979, I was uh, uh, obligated to fulfill my obligation to the United States military, and in particular, the United States Marine Corps. So from 75 to 79, I was on active duty in Quantico, Virginia, and Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and Dave and I, mainly our contact was through phone calls, et cetera. There wasn't such a thing as email. And uh, Dave was doing his deal with the Royals. And from time to time, we would have a Kansas City connection. And it usually involved who knows what, but generally women, of Dave's. I was married. Dave was not. And I can remember at one point, getting together with Dave, and he and Amos Otis had a Pong machine. And this is, <laughs> falls in there. Are you kidding me? You're telling this story? This is kind of lame. They had this cool Pong machine. And again, this is in the early days of, you know, Atari and things like that. But it was like four feet by four feet. It was like a television screen embedded into a table, face up, and you played this stupid Pong game, which was one of the first video games ever. And I mean, this thing weighed about 500 friggin' pounds, and somehow Amos Otis had given it to some girl to keep in her apartment because he and Dave were really not in the business of having this gigantic, I don't know why they got it, don't know how they got it. But at some point in time, I'm in Kansas City, and uh, Dave says, hey, man, do you uh, mind getting a truck and going over to this girl's apartment? i got to pick something up. And I go, yeah, it's fine, I'll, I'll do it. So he and I pile into a truck, and we go over to the second floor of, you know, back then everybody lived in apartment complex. Nobody owned a house. Um... Well, actually, Dave owned a house in Arlington, Texas. But in Kansas City, uh, you know, people our age at that point lived in apartments. So on the second floor of this apartment, we go up and we get this frigging heavy pong machine into this, down the stairs into a truck and over to my house in Overland Park because I had moved back to Kansas City after the Marine Corps. So this had to be when Dave was broadcasting for the uh, for the Kansas City Royals. And so this stupid Pong game became my problem for the next three or four years. And I can't remember, finally, we got rid of it, but somehow I had this 500-pound Pong machine that I think my kids probably played a little bit. It was sort of cool, but on the other hand, it was first-generation video game, and... And once Apple came out with some of their games on their computers, this thing was, this was a dinosaur. 
but it also was my entree into some of the wacky lifestyle of David Earl Nelson. I can remember in uh, the latter years of being in the Marine Corps when I was get ready to get out, Dave tried to uh, get me to represent Amos Otis. And so I can remember talking to Odie, and, and he had this other guy that would meet him after every game with a carload of beer, and he would sit out with this guy, and I won't say his last name because he went to prison for stealing all of A.O.'s money. Um, but A.O. loved this guy because he'd bring a big Cadillac with a bunch of beer in the back, and, and so Odie stayed with him and lost all of his money. Not a good move, but I probably wasn't at that time equipped to represent him anyway. So that was uh, Dave's time in Kansas City, number three, with the Kansas City Royals, and he uh, was on the playoff rosters in 76. He played in a playoff game, pinch hit, grounded out, and uh, that was his big appearance. He uh, was on the team in 77, that should have won the World Series, but didn't. And uh, after that, uh, he went into broadcasting for a year or two, and then uh, from there, that was 1979, from 1980, went to TCU, loved his Horn Frogs, loved coaching in college baseball, uh, met Jeff Newman, who became a lifelong friend. Newman was a TCU, played at TCU when I played at SMU, uh, using the term played very loosely, I sat on the bench and watched for two years the worst team in the history of Division I sports, the SMU Mustangs. We were so pathetic, but I won't digress that much. From uh, TCU to the back to the major leagues is maybe my favorite Dave Nelson story. And uh, there, are, it's one of it's one of two. When Dave got the job with WGN Radio to broadcast uh, baseball for the Chicago Cubs, that's a pretty fun story too. But on this great occasion of celebrating one year since uh, my good friend passed away, let me go into a little bit of detail on this story because this is great. In 1980, Tommy Lasorda the then manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers was supposed to give a presentation at the baseball winter meetings. The winter meetings were being held at the Anatole Restaurant and Hotel in Dallas, Texas. There, for you folks that know Dallas, it was over there on the Stemmons Freeway in the um, market area, uh, the area where they did lots of conventions, and the Anatole was this huge place that housed the winter meetings. Anyway, Dave is asked to fill in for Lasorda, who couldn't make it. Not sure what Tommy had to consume or to eat the night before. But at any rate, Tommy Lasorda failed to answer the bell, and Dave knew that Nellie was in the area, so they asked Dave to come to the winter meetings, give a presentation. So Dave's presentation was on base running. And really, I think if you, you know, a lot of guys get credit for being base running gurus in, in terms of coaching. Uh, we all know that Maury Wills and Ricky Henderson and some of those guys, Bert Campaneros, could steal bases, along with Dave Nelson. They could all steal bases, but very few could take their knowledge and wisdom and expertise 
and lifelong education and impart that wisdom to somebody else, but Dave could. Dave was very, very good at talking, base stealing, base running, uh, and all of the things in between to the Kenny Loftons of the world and to the Scott Pesednicks of the world and to the Robbie Alomars of the world and on and on and on. Whether you were a great base stealer or an average runner, Dave could give you the information and the knowledge to be a better base runner. Sliding, stealing, extra base, taking the turn, the right way, how to run the bases. Clinic by Dave Nelson. So at this winter meeting, Dave gave this presentation, and in the audience was one of my favorite guys in baseball, Roland Heeman. And let me tell you, all my favorite guys in baseball, and I was thinking about this today, and I mean from Billy Martin to Whitey Herzog to you name it, anybody and everybody, and I love baseball, and maybe I would have come in contact with a few of these guys, but for the most part, I've met so many spectacular people and it's, it's like the, it's not the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's the one degree of Dave Nelson. I've met all these guys or most of these guys through Dave Nelson. And let me tell you, you know, people say, boy, you really did a lot for Dave. You managed his money, blah, blah, blah. It's, it, he did so many great things in my life. I had so much fun, not just with Dave, but with the people that, that I met through Dave, the Harold Baines of the world, Tom Hamilton, Dwayne Stats, Craig Kishan, all the guys with the Brewers now that I've met. And, and we'll go on and talk about it. And this is probably a one-hour podcast that may segue into two hours. I don't know. But a lot of people that I came to know were I knew through uh, none other than, than Dave. And so in the audience... In Dallas, at the winter meetings, was Roland Heeman, who was the general manager of the Chicago White Sox and a totally dedicated, devoted baseball guy. He was an old-time baseball guy. He was a baseball guy in the 80s. He was a baseball guy in the 90s. He's still a baseball guru and a great, great man and a credit to Major League Baseball up and down the line. Cannot say enough about Roland Heeman. And like most of the other guys I met through Dave, he was so nice to me and for no real reason, but what a good guy. Anyway, Roland heard him give the presentation and went up to Dave and said, what are you doing? And Dave goes, well, I'm a coach with the uh, TCU Horn Frogs and their baseball program. And Roland said, how'd you like to work for the White Sox? And from that meeting in Dallas, Dave gets hired to be a minor league roving instructor on base running in the White Sox organization in 19, for the 1981 season. Spring training, Sarasota, Florida, 1981. Dave Nelson reports. He's doing his base running exercises, his base running drills, all of which this guy, Nelly, was an anal son of a gun when it came to baseball. I mean, anal. He was prepared. He was organized. If you just casually met Dave one evening, you would come away with thinking, that's a great guy. But you wouldn't come away with thinking, boy, this guy is one organized sucker on base running. Although I'm sure you would have talked about base running, but be that as it may, 
He was so organized. He was so impressive. He made such an impact at spring training that before they broke camp to go north in the 1981 baseball season, they hired Nelly to be their first base coach at the major league level, and he did that for 81, 82, 83, and 84, winning an American League West championship division with the uh, with the White Sox may have been Central Division. I don't know. I'm not going to go back and check. But anyway, in 1983, the White Sox won the division and lost. I think there were only two divisions back in 83, and they played the Baltimore Orioles. They should have won. Britt Burns got robbed. No hitting. Dubzinski base running area. Error not because of Dave. But at any rate, that was a great team featuring Harold Baines and lots of good guys. And uh, so anyway, they won the division. And at that time, another fond story of mine, of Dave Nelson's, and there are many, but this one's more business-oriented. Dave thought that most of the younger guys didn't get good representation. So he asked me if I'd go into business with him and start a company called Pro Sports Inc. And we represented minor league baseball players, which I laughed because, um, number one, Dave was an incredible judge of talent. And I mean, he handpicked these guys that were good guys and good players for me to approach and see if they wanted an agent. Well, of course, most minor leaders, this is in the early 80s, most minor leaguers didn't really get tracked down by agents because they were making 600 bucks a month at best at AA, maybe 1000 a month at AAA. And when they got close to the major leagues, and the draft wasn't that big a deal then, when they get close, and the pay wasn't big, when they get close to the major league, then, you know, the big boys, the Dennis Gilberts or the Borises or the Gilhulies or whoever, um, and there were about 10 good agents. They would come and they'd, you know, get these guys as they were in AAA. Well, Dave and I beat them to the punch, and we signed the likes of some really, really good ballplayers, mostly in the White Sox organization. And these guys included Kenny Williams, who's now the president of the Chicago White Sox, Ron Karkovice, an all-star catcher, Johnny Cangelosi, who played for at least 10 years with a number of teams, and for every team he had a new agent, and it wasn't me. But Johnny Cangelosi, as I digress, accomplished an impossible task that equaled an, an impossible task that Dave Nelson accomplished, and that was to steal second, third, and home in the same inning against the same pitcher. And Nelly did that, and Cangelosi did that. And so we represented John. And I'll tell a little story about second, third, and home being stolen in a minute. Another Dave Nelson memory. But we also represented for a short period of time Bobby Thigpen. We, we had 20 guys. And I would go down to spring training, and, and uh, we'd, we'd have a great time. And these guys were all good guys. And there's a... There's a fun story about every one of those guys, whether they were stars like Karkovice and Cangelosi or not so big a star like Eddie Cedar or Mike Soper or Rolando Pino. 
I mean, Dave kept in touch with these guys for the for really the rest of his life, and uh, that was a fun time. Even though we didn't make one penny off of anybody with the White Sox, because agents would pluck these good guys off one by one when they got close to the major leagues, and that's a funny story in and of itself. But on the second, third, and home, I think I've mentioned before I'd go to autograph shows. I still do. I'm an autograph junkie. And many, many, many years ago, Nolan Ryan was at a show, and I had, I had a bat and a ball and a couple Nolan Ryan jerseys for, for Nolan to to sign. And and as is still my custom, I would go up to these guys and mention, hey, you know, Dave Nelson says to say hello. He's my best friend. I represent him. Blah 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 blah. And you know, I would probably lead with that, maybe a little bit lower key than that. But it always came out when I figured that this guy knew Dave, uh, maybe they would, you know, sign it to Jamie, which would minimize the value. But I don't care about the value of these things. I just care about collecting them. So I get to Nolan Ryan, a guy, Nolan, a friend of Dave Nelson's. And, of course, then Nolan, you know, even now they charge you for everything these guys do. But he signed his name, and he signed the total number of strikeouts in his career, and might have put how many no-hitters he threw. I don't know. But he did some extra stuff. And then he goes, in his Texas drawl, he goes, yeah. And now I've heard the other side of the story from Dave. But Nolan goes, yeah, you know, Davey was a good guy. But he sold second, third, and home off of me in the minor leagues. And I never forgot that. Now. Fast forward that to the Dave Nelson side of that story. So he's playing for the Texas Rangers. The Rangers are losing to the Los Angeles Angels or the California, whatever they were called back then. I think it was the California Angels. Anyway, so they're losing by five or six runs, and Dave comes up with nobody on, and Nolan just drills him with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball in the ribs. And... Dave's kind of out of breath, and this was so hard that the seams would be embedded in his rib cage. You know, you could see the seams if you lifted up his uniform. Toby Hera, who was on deck, runs over, Dave, Dave, get up, don't let him know it hurts you. And Dave looks at Toby Hera and gives him one of those, huh, like he gives to me whenever I'd give him a little advice on how he could improve his game or coaching. And Nelly gets to his feet. And he starts walking to the mound, and the home plate umpire goes, oh, man, you know, Nelly doesn't get too upset too often. He's certainly not going to mix it up with Nolly. So the umpire's running out there, the Angels catcher's running out there, and Dave gets about 10 feet away from, from Ryan and says, Nolan, what in the world are you doing that for? you got a five-run lead. And he looks at Dave, and he goes, Dave, that's for stealing second third and home off of me in double-A baseball. <laughs> and if nothing typifies Nolan Ryan or Dave Nelson more than that little story, I don't know what does, but that's one of my favorite all-time stories of David Earl in the days with the Texas Rangers. Now, fast forward to his coaching career uh, with the uh, first with TCU, then the White Sox, and then he's a minor league coordinator with Carl Keel, another great baseball man in the Oakland Athletics. And so, again, I meet a whole new group of people with the Oakland Athletics. Dave gets 
different bats, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, all these steroid guys that unbeknownst to Dave or me were steroid guys back then, but they were. Anyway, benefit out the city, uh, you know, from Dave for lots of things, all-star game in Oakland in 1987. And then as Nelly would do, he spent most Thanksgivings and Christmases with, with me and my family. And uh, 1987 was no exception. Dave was getting ready for spring training with Oakland when Chuck Swarsky of uh, WGN Radio called Dave at my house. And uh, Dave had applied for a broadcasting job with the uh, Chicago Cubs and had interviewed a couple times with Chuck. And unbelievably, Chuck said, Dave, you uh, have been chosen to be the color analyst on the radio broadcast WGN for Chicago Cup Baseball along with Dwayne Stats. Are you interested in the job? And it was like he and I had just won the World Series. We were spraying champagne all over the place, jumping up and down. I mean, it was like, may have been the happiest I ever saw Dave. And what a great opportunity that was for Dave. And that led to all sorts of fun times in the Windy City. And uh, like I said, every stop of the way, there's a great Dave Nelson story. And uh, this all started with uniform numbers. But the broadcasting with, with Dwayne's stats, and, and I just had dinner with Dwayne a couple weeks ago. And what a great guy and what great memories he had of Dave and, uh, and their broadcast. <laughs> and, you know, Dwayne has a really funny sense of humor and... You know, there's stuff that I didn't really realize, but Dwayne was talking about, you know, how in the world Dave got this job, and Swarsky liked him, but this uh, woman who was the director of broadcasting sports for WGN at the time was a woman named Lorna Gladstone, and I forgot all about this, but I had negotiated, not that there was much negotiation to do, Dave's contract with the radio, and and so I thought Lorna was a long-time broadcast star with WGN and Dwayne had a funnier different take on Lorna she was like an art history major who had no idea what she was doing in the broadcast world and God love Lorna I'm sure she's never going to hear this broadcast nor would Swarsky who's still with the broadcast in industry and the Cubs but Stats would laugh about it because Lorna really didn't know much about baseball but loved Dave and Nike who wouldn't love Dave and that that was it and Dave's interviewing and talking, and I'm sure she thought Dave was her best friend after he was done with his interview with Lorna Gladstone. But anyway, so Dwayne and I had a good chuckle about that. Dave broadcast the first night game uh, with the Chicago Cubs, and then uh, the second night game after the first one was called off. And all in all in all, formed a great friendship with Dwayne. Didn't really know what Harry thought of him, but Harry was instrumental in helping Dave get another job later on in Dave's career. And so, those are some of the funny stories up through the Cubs broadcasting time uh, in in Dave and my uh, relationship. And there were many nights on Rush Street, but uh, mostly Dave's and my nights uh, included eating a lot, drinking quickly, and falling asleep and figuring out who was going to sleep first because the other one snored so loud it wasn't even funny. 
From there, Dave's great career went to uh, Cleveland. And from coaching in Cleveland and wearing number eight, number 14, because Albert Bell ended up with number eight at some point, Nelly was the first base coach on the 95 and World Series team, the 97 World Series team, the 96 playoff team, and then got fired by Mark Hargrove for no reason. And then got the opportunity for two years to broadcast with the legendary Tom Hamilton, which was great because I got to meet Tom Hamilton and I got to play golf with Tom Hamilton and Mike Keegan and all these guys. And I got to meet Mike Hargrove and I got to hang with some of the coaches and the with the Indians, and I got to, you know, I really wasn't the kind of guy, I didn't like hanging out in their locker room, I didn't like getting to meet a Kenny Lofton or a Sandy Elmer Jr., but, you know, if they were around, I would do it, but mostly it was Dave and the coaches, I got to meet them, and we, like I said, we played golf with Hamilton and all these guys, I had, you know, I had all this great kind of trickle-down benefits from being around Dave, and uh, by God, it was it was great. The World Series was great. Great for my kids, great for Dave, great to spend time with his mom, Ida May, who we loved. And really, you know, the more I talk, the more this podcast, maybe I should just do a podcast on Dave Nelson and every week have a new Dave Nelson podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll entertain that because we're getting into that hour our time period that I said I'd try to stay with. But from the Cleveland Indians uh, and then getting fired by Hargrove, broadcasting with Tom Hamilton for two years, which was just fun. Fun for Dave. Fun for me. Tom Hamilton and Dwayne Stats are two of the best. Dave then got the opportunity to go to Milwaukee. And he worked uh, his way through the minor league system quickly and then became the first base coach. And then uh, Ned Yost, who later got fired right before his team won the playoff, got into the playoffs, the year before fired Dave for the stated reason that the pitchers couldn't sacrifice butt. And uh, at any rate, be that as it may, uh, Dave went on to meet with the new owner of the Milwaukee Brewers, Mark Antanasio, who did an exit interview with Dave because that's what Mark thought you ought to do with employees that had been fired. And by the end of the interview, just like with Lorna Gladstone and like with everybody else, Mark Antanasio goes, wow, this, I love this guy. What do you want to do with us? And Dave goes, well, I'd like to get back into broadcasting. Boom. Let me wave my magic wand as the owner. You are now in the broadcast department of the Milwaukee Brewers. And it's so typical of this great guy. He met with Antanasio, gets a job back in broadcasting, and the good fortune of hooking up, being a teammate of, broadcasting with Craig Kashan, who became a really great friend of mine and a, one of Dave's best friends. And Dave's boss in the broadcasting side of things was none other than Tyler Barnes, another person who's become a good friend of mine and was a best friend of Dave's. And I laugh in the uh, last year of Dave's life when he was clearly ill. Um, Dave was talking about what he was going to do over the Thanksgiving holidays and uh, Dave said, well, you know, I'm going to 
go to Kansas City and spend Thanksgiving with my best friend Jamie. And at that time, I sort of knew Tyler. We had been very instrumental together uh, in Dave's care and handling at the great facility in Milwaukee, the uh, Frieder Medical World, Medical Center. Tyler looks at Dave and goes, I thought I was your best friend. And of course, now this is his boss. And Dave and I mean, we're all laughing. I said, everybody's his best friend, but he's coming to Thanksgiving with me, as he's done for years and Christmas for many years. Anyway, um, so through that, uh, not only Craig Kashan, who's just a great broadcaster, not only pregame, postgame, but play by play, does a great job, ought to get. He ought to get hired by somebody if he wanted to leave the Brewers, which I don't think he does. But but Craig's a great one, and uh, uh, obviously Bob Euchre, who became really good friends with Dave, is you know a legend of his own. There's a Hall of Fame for broadcasters, and then there's the Hall of Fame for broadcasters, and Bob Euchre, and Vin Scully, and. A few other guys are in that real Hall of Fame. But be that as it may, everybody loved Dave. And Dave had a great crew, uh, Jerry Augustine, one of the legendary teammates of the 1982 Milwaukee Brewers that all those guys from Storm and Gorman to Robin Yan, to you name it, all those guys are legends and heroes in Milwaukee, and they all supported Dave's golf tournament they were all really good guys, and Jerry Augustine is a member of that broadcast crew that was so much fun for me to hang with and so much fun to be around, but more fun for Dave to be around. So that that kind of is the uh, relationship perspective, as I knew it, from Dave, from 1973 to 2018, and, and today being the one-year mark on... Dave's passing, it was a time for me to reflect and a time for Craig Kashan to reflect and a time for lots of people to reflect on their friendship with Dave Nelson. And um, I, again, I'm looking around, I'm, I'm looking at another wall in my office and there's a picture of Dave with my kids at Wrigley Field in 1988. Uh, Dave and I were each 50 pounds lighter than uh, we ultimately became. But uh, my kids knew Dave from the time they were a month old. Uh, we knew Dave's kid from the time he was a month old and then some. And so nothing but fond memories, nothing but good times, nothing but great, great memories of a great friendship, of a great guy that I shared with Dave. And I can promise you 5,000 other people shared some of those same memories with Dave. And God bless everybody for doing that. God bless all of you that are friends of Dave's and all of you that got to meet Dave. A lot of people got to meet Dave through me. A lot of people got to meet Dave through you and your friends the Brian Wards of the world, the Craig Kashans of the world, the Kenny Loftons of the world, the Jason Grimsleys of the world, the Jeff Newmans of the world, the Greg Murphy and Tommy Golden, and all these guys that um, I got to know through Dave, they were great guys, and that list is like 
one-tenth of the list of the people I got to know and one-millionth of the list of probably the friends of Dave Nelson. And as it was during his life and it is now in our memories, there's nothing but good times in my mind about Dave. And as I close this podcast today, I just wish everybody uh, had the opportunity to get to know Dave like I did. And to those of you who somehow were touched by Dave, the Bob Salises of the world who founded Open Arms Home for Children, who's been such an instrumental friend with Dave, and on and on and on. There's so many people that touched Dave's life, that touched my life, that I can't even begin to thank them for that experience and the fact that it goes on after Dave's passing. And uh, those friendships are cherished by me. And uh, I look forward to many, many more years of staying in touch with the people that I got in touch with because of Dave. So, having said all of that, I am looking forward to the rest of the baseball season. I'm looking forward to podcast number 17. I'm looking forward to many, many more podcasts talking about my good friend Dave Nelson, which I'll do because that's one of the reasons for the podcast. And whether there's one person that listens or 100 people that listen, I'm going to keep going for the rest of this year on podcasts about baseball and about my good buddy Davey Nelson. And I say, Davey, God bless you. That's it from here.